together for Brian McCracken, everyone. Welcome back, Brian. Thanks. Went to twist it, and I, I really want to know high, how high up this goes. I've been wondering this all night. Stop on it too. I don't think it will pop out. Are there people this tall that read on this mic? <laughs> I'm close to that. You're close to that? Where you're, about, you're about like right here, I bet, right? Um, five nine. So you're six three. All right, you're six three. So that's a difference of six inches. So this should be six inches above my mouth. That's about right. Yeah. So that's where your mouth is. Yeah. Okay. That's where it usually is when I walk. I'm five nine too. So when I walk back up there, at about the building I really like this. I'm just gonna. I'll get into the poems in a second. But I'm just enjoying being in Bellingham. This is the first time that I've done a show where I get to like do to like stay in a period for an extended amount of time and I feel so much more comfortable with this. I was looking at this earlier and I was like thinking about perspective and how things look really pretty when you're not in them and I was thinking about like that's so beautiful and magical but like if I was in there I bet it would be really cold <laughs> and I would be really hungry because there's nothing growing. Okay. Anyways, just had to get it out of the way. How about a poem? We are tired. Of poetry readings with undead stanzas staggering through frayed stitched lips in the dimly lit red pen districts of college campuses. In ivory towers all across America, bow tie poets map out our eardrums like a cartographer's dying breath in perfect career ten point font. This poem is my dissertation. We we're not meant to bite our tongues to the tunes of Xanax-stuffed Black Beret poets, Daddy-O. Not meant to hunch cold and dry under the weight of dead beatniks sedated by the one-way death rattles of imitation word Buddha siphoning culture through non-fat lattes. Poets of the Academy, of the deserted book nooks of the ghost town coffee shops, please stop hiding behind your social milieus. Please stop hoarding the water because poetry was born to perform. We are gathered here tonight like the spoken wordsmiths before us trading swigs of epiphany between constellation and bonfire. From the bards to the jesters, to the greets of Africa, from soapbox truth slingers to freestyling alley cats taking the beat to the street to the poet revolutionaries stretching fists to the skies. These battle cries against complicity defiantly twist and turn before you, mic stand dancing, exhaling sutras, expelling alienation through moonlight kisses. Oh, I can actually kiss the moon with this poem now. And middle fingers, vulnerable, stronger in our weakness, we are unveiled upon this altar, disrobed amongst this audience existing already within you. We are a window. 
You are entertained. However, we are not your fucking TVs, and you are not consumers tonight. Do not sit idly petrified in your seats, passively sponging a poetry like advertising jingles. Resurrect yourself. You are hereby liberated from your lives of quiet desperation. Do not let us be crucified by your silence, stoned by your gaze, you room full of beautiful medusas. We are the goddesses and gods we have always run to in times of crisis. This mic breaks bread, not bodies. Let us sip not prison wine caged whimpers, but bootleg moonshine in high-speed chases like whiskey barrels, like thirty-year scotch. Let us gaze into the eyes of each other's hurricanes. Let us drink the perfect storm. We trace every curve of our heart. Outline every imperfection, every blood clot we ever forgot out of fear or out of shame. This mic trickles syllables down the nape of your neck, your chest, the sensitive parchment cradling your abdomen. Let these words be the tingle of a lover's fingertips. Let us taste each other's sweat, wet like the dusk on the lips of our lovers. Poetry is the sweet nectar of our psyches. It is the realm where sex and metaphor meet. So let us be. The ultimate voice box to eardrum, soul, funk, lovers. So tell me, what scriptures have never left the prison of your lips? What mantras yearn for freedom from the cells between your hips? Nymphs, sirens, and satyrs, seize back your life tonight and live it in decibels in sound waves. Tonight, speak! Shout! Sing intimacy and unpunctuated operatic glory, your poetic life force straight through your sternum, your ribs spit and structure fire up the gunpowder of your tongues. We are the arsonists. We are the Phoenix. Thank you. So yeah, I'm Brian McCracken. This is the last show on my tour. I get to go home soon. I started this tour out by um, competing in the Individual World Poetry Slam in Washington, D.C. Flew into Portland, did Portland, Seattle, Tacoma, Everett, and then two Bellinghams, and I did... Uh, well, there's only one Bellingham, but I did two shows in Bellingham. Y'all are called hamsters. I didn't know that until I got here this time, and I love it. We don't really have a mascot in uh, Olympia, like maybe like patchouli or gooey ducks or something. I don't know. Like, we don't have an animal or a nickname. Um, anyways, yeah, so it's been really fun, and I've met a lot of really cool people, and it's been really cool seeing like um, all of the other... What's that? Artesian. Artesians. I like that, yeah. So we have the Artesian Well in Olympia that uh, a lot of people hang out at, which is currently like being like hella gentrified right now. And there's just like that's where the battle over like that's where the, the the mini class warfare in Olympia happens is the Artesian Well because like people move in and they're like, hey, that's great. I want to go there and not feel uncomfortable. And then um, other people are like, hey, we've been here. Um, and so yeah, that's in a nutshell Olympia politics. Anyways, derail. Uh, yes, so. Uh, where was I going with that? Yeah, my tour. Yeah, it's been really fun. Oh, yeah, and it's cool to see um, uh, just the, the way that um, the things that different uh, poetry scenes in the Northwest have in common and the ways that they're different and the way that like people interact with and experience poetry differently in those towns, and it's been really fun. So if you're ever in Olympia, um, Olympia People's Mic happens every Thursday at 6 p.m. at Ben Moore's Restaurant. You can find out more about Old Growth Poetry Collective on there. And I am going to say this up front. Um, if you're on Facebook, I would love you to like my page on Facebook. I've forgotten to say that every single show, because I'm like, I'll work it in towards the end when they really like me, you know, and then I just forget. Um, so yeah, Brian McCracken Weiss will speak speaking on Facebook. You know that now. I have chapbooks for sale. Okay, all the logistics are out of the way. Yes, question. You can totally do that, yes. Yes. 
Yes, I do have some videos up there. My chapbooks are five dollars each, and I only have two left of the new one. Um, the if a caterpillar flaps its wings, it has it. This one right here, the cover is full of Photoshop cheese. The poems aren't, I promise. Um, yeah. And the other one is dotted lines. Anyways, more poems. All right. So this is a this poem is like a performance poetry book report of a. Uh, I did this one last time I was in Bellingham actually um, when I came with Old Growth Poetry Collective, my collective, um, and it is sort of a translating the works of Daniel Quinn, uh, who wrote a book called Ishmael that I read when I was sixteen into poem form. Um, yeah, you have read it. It's a great book. Yes. All right. My name is Adam. For 200 millennia, I lived as the other beings did, hand to mouth, tracking game for days, wasting time on sloth, leisure, and sunshine. I made no attempt to master my environment, didn't try to tame the wildness around me. Then 10 millennia ago, I discovered agriculture, and some will tell you it was Eve who figured this growing thing out, but we all know it is I who get credit for putting things to good use. It was I who figured out that gardening was the key to the box of keys that unlocked all opportunities. It made mastery of all masteries possible. And I grew. Stayed in one place and grew food. I hoarded my apples and stockpiled them while the savages went hungry, digging, digging in the dirt for grubs. I extended my reach. I breached the earth for ore and made bronze, iron, and steel, made weapons to defend my grain surpluses made soldiers to wield those weapons, made war, and my culture spread, and I went from homo sapiens to homo magister, as in magistrate, as in your majesty, as in magician, as in admire my imagination. I made religions to control the masses, and then nature adapted to me, and then I studied nature, became enlightened. I discarded superstition in favor of science, the tool I could use to have real dominion. And I peddled my technology, my inventions, sometimes too quick, there were crises, too many bellies to feed, so I invented fertilizer, more and more bellies were bred and disease spread, so I invented antibiotics, and I grew, and I grew, and I slashed, and I burned, and I toiled, and I turned, tilled the soil, until I could grow no more, and then I started messing with holy things, splicing genes and engineering crops the way that I wanted them, couldn't move the food fast enough, so I harnessed the power of fossil fuels, drilled deep, cracked the crust of my mother of the earth, I penetrated her to extract the blood of my ancestors, I burned her oils in my engines and the carbon bloomed quickly expanding into the atmosphere began to get hotter the glaciers retreated spilling their innards into the oceans and the sea levels rose my leaders gathered together to propose solutions but ended up squabbling over who would inherit the next status quo who would lose the least emissions they made bones over whose corporations could order this climate chaos and it seemed the answer might be around the corner just like every other time but my mother came back and she was firm in her response and I called her Katrina, Rita, Daiichi Fukushima called her vengeance, retribution, ecological collapse, apocalypse I call her a witch because I am man and I see balance as punishment for real all the power that I can, because I am Adam, as in the power of the Adam, as an Adam bomb, as in a dam, as in hydroelectric, I rule the rivers and one day the rain, Adam is my name, as an ad, am advertising to everybody what it is to be, is what it is to be alive, I am the master of my destiny, I am Adam, admitting I don't know how to fix it this time, this, my story of wanting to be special, to be validated by something bigger than me. I've been eradicating everything bigger than me. All right, so, um, 
I have mixed feelings about trigger warnings and what they mean. You don't necessarily know what someone's triggers are. I have a friend who gets triggered when he sees a plane in the sky because those used to drop bombs on him. Um, so, but for what it's worth, the, po the two poems I'm about to do are about surviving sexual assault. So if you are in a space to hear that and share that space with me, cool. If you're not, I do not consider it rude. If you need to like get up and take care of yourself or leave or whatever, like that's fine. So I'm going to do those poems. The first time I did LSD, I learned that good medicine ain't supposed to be pleasant. Flashback. I'm in the bathroom he locked us in. My lover's touch reminds me only of his forearms and fists. I feel him choking me internally in my lungs, an angry shadow, constructive tar and a repressed memory, demanding gratification, demanding to be remembered. And I realize for the first time there was a word for what my best friend did to me. The first dozen times I had sex with someone who loved me back, I knew for certain that their satisfaction was more important than anything I could ever want. I was simultaneously terrified of doing anything that could hurt them and scared of being punished after. The second time I saw the vagina monologues, I left before the rape scene, snuck past the advocate there for anyone who felt triggered by the show. I didn't want any of the women there to feel unsafe, because I know what it means to be afraid of men. We all know what it means to be afraid of men. You taught me what patriarchy means. Your picture on Facebook was all that it took for this poem to flow out of me, all that it took for my chest to go staccato, my fingers shake, my gut quakes. I see you, a proud father smiling with baby son and matching blue eyes, and I think blue, the cerulean towel I used as a cushion, cushion blue, the tap water running to mask the sounds of your grunting, my gasps of pain, you getting off the shameful walks home in the rain, the flooding guilt and embarrassment over the power that you held over this little rebel, the lies to my parents about what we did together, because this had to be a secret. I hope your son never has to experience what you did to me. Hope his mother doesn't have the same relationship with your fists that I did, your compassion and anger, two sides of the same coin, the violence and the saber between your thighs, and realize, please, that writing this poem, I'm torn between wanting to finish it and consume every drug within a five-mile radius, get lost in oblivion, try to forget this ever, ever happened, but I know I can't, I know I can't. I wonder if you can. I wonder if you have. Some of the young men I work with remind me of you. They silently spin fables of men don't cry, men don't feel, and this first world warrior society teaches us that aggression is the appropriate ointment to every cut and bruise, but we can learn empathy, we can transform this trauma into healing. Ryan, I speak your name to reclaim my own. And I don't know if you know the damage that you caused because we were just kids, and even if you did, there was nothing you can say. You made me your plaything. That's part of me now. But I make myself the survivor. Ryan, I don't know what happened to you. And I can understand the temptation to shed your trauma by passing it on to another, but rape is a ripple I will never recreate. And so I speak for both of us. And I wonder if you'll recognize the story. Thank you.
Um, so I have this friend named Cecily, uh, Cecily Schuler. I don't know if they've ever featured in Bellingham before, but they're awesome, and you should check them out on YouTube if you get a chance. Um, and uh, they said that the way that they do poems is like they, they write a poem that kind of scratches the surface of what they wanted to talk about, and then they go a little deeper, and then they write another poem and go a little deeper. And so I've been trying to do that with, with this subject. And so the next poem is sort of uh, a poem that's a reaction to the way that poem was received when I first started doing it. Um, uh, you know, there, there's there's a lot of silence about rape culture in general um, in our society. Um, but growing up, growing growing up as a boy, like I, you know, I didn't even have a word to attach to that. I, I didn't even know that that was a possibility. So it was like, um, you know, so, and I certainly didn't have like boys or men talking around me about rape at all. Um, and so uh, when I first read that poem, like I just noticed like. You know, when I've talked about these experiences with women, there's a lot more understanding, obviously. Um, uh, and um, with men, often they like don't, don't want to talk about it. You know, don't want to talk about it. Um, so this poem is exploring that. And I'm going to close my eyes while I'm reading it. And it's not because you're not all very lovely. It's because I had it on a piece of paper and I lost the piece of paper. So on this tour, apparently now I have it memorized. Um, I think. Uh, so yeah, here goes. The first time I read the rape poem, the men were silent. If it was validation that I wanted, I should have won at the end of the poem. Should have spun, you, spun them a web of fictional scenarios where I tracked him down and beat the amends out of the spattered canvas of his face, how he begged me to stop and understood the error of his ways. Should have told them justice. Should have been underdog. Should have reaffirmed my winning gender. But after all the anger, all I have left are questions. Like, in the prison yard of patriarchy, am I the inmate or the firing squad? If I am silent, am I the blindfold? How did I become both target and gun? No, not target anymore, never intended target, merely collateral damage in a war on women. If a boy falls apart in the bathroom with another boy and no one hears the scream, who is the original sinner and who is asking for it? Look, I wanted to be close with him. Maybe could have been my first crush. Maybe I could have been his. Had anyone been looking, maybe could have seen him unraveling his confusion behind me. Oh. When I write the rape poem, it is not because I want to. But because I, oh, sorry, maybe you could have seen him unraveling his confusion behind me. In the years, in my relationships with men since, I have opened every door except my closet. They have opened to me. I have held them safely, safely the way I wish to be. I am an anomaly or an incorrectable outcome to a culture that ignores what it can't normalize. When I write the rape poem, it is not because I want to, but because I have to. I'm always more naked than I want to be. One of uh, uh, Tara Hardy came and featured in uh, Olympia a while back, and she said that like the 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 lines that she drops in her poems, like she talks with her therapist about this actually when she like uh, ta uh, 
after a feature, she'll say, like, yeah, like, I, I totally forgot this line to the poem, you know, I wonder why, and the therapist is like, because that's the thing that you want to forget, like, and, and she was saying that, like, there's definitely a pattern to, like, which lines she forgets, you know, <laughs> so I guess that's the line I want to forget in that poem, but I'm glad I remembered it. Um, all right, so I did my shouty poems, I did my not-so-shouty poems, now we're going to start coming back out of the dark, um, and this poem's going to start a little dark, and then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get triumphant, and then we're going to end it on a very fun, silly, happy note. How's that? Can we, can we just like take a breath together, because I have some like, deep, dark poetry? <sighs> okay, all right, all right. This poem's for the drug addicts. The dope fiends. This poem is for 90-pound bodies shriveling in gutters like dried fruit. This is for those who shoot. For the withering alley cat specters dancing sleepwalk in the devil's daymare, slaves to the needle and the spoon. This poem is for my siblings who met their makers too soon. This poem is for you. You who is blacklisted for your sickness, convicted, untouchable, and criminally ill. You who is locked up for possession without a hope of redemption for your child who is missing you and doesn't understand the reasons the drug war nabbed his daddy and who will follow in his bootsteps if not properly guided. This poem is for you who grew up comfortable but were missing something, who graduated from the school bus to the squad car, the pen to the magnum, you who found your feet your fountain in the hate Nashbury. No hurry, why worry? Life is a joyride in a stranger's car and smack is the main line out of the middle class and into an early grave. This is for the track marks we paved. This poem is for you who is on the wait list for an underfunded treatment center for three months deciding between triage through treatment or deliverance through death. Anything to stop the suffering. This poem is reality. I know this poem. This poem is for me. Me who used to strip mine straight pieces, pieces of pill out of the carpet, storing whatever came along with the catch. Me who found bliss in every brand new orange bottle. Me from the birds chirping in the morning would produce paranoia. Me who stayed up for five days a week or had gunshots and lived in psychotic delusions. Me who got clean. Me who no longer lives between high-speed chases and post-mania comas under the covers. This poem is for worried mothers. This poem is for hope. And it's for one day, just this day, clean and serene, finally again a human being. And it's for not being an animal, a slave to my desires, impulse towards deathly indulgence. It is for skin, clear of scabs, face full of color and complexion. It is for a job and education, poetry slams and getting published. It is for friends and family, family proud to call me theirs. This poem is for hope. This poem is also for the fallen. For this society's child soldiers digging their trenches in Southeast D.C. and Baltimore, this poem is not for the war on drugs, the war on the poor, the war on the spirit. This poem is an epidemic. This poem is for my dead kin who struggle no more. For those who gave up on life and greeted the reaper in the backseat of a beat-up caddy with not an ounce of body fat, sunken cheeks, emaciated skeletons, the ones we loved, dead at 23. This poem is an epitaph. This poem is statistics. This poem rolls dice. This poem is proof that the dealer didn't win. This poem is for every addict who never met the pen. It is for last gasps beneath bridges, for funerals we didn't have the courage to attend. This poem is for resistance, resilience, and blind fucking luck. This is a poem against all odds. This poem should be six feet under, but it defies gravity. I defy gravity. I defy death. Thank you. Alright, so this is going to be my last poem. Um, thank you for hosting me so much, Bellingham Poetry Night. I hope to be back up here soon. And also, there's a fucking slam here now, right? Is that, is that a true story that I heard from the interwebs? Who do I talk to about that? 
Jessica Lohafer. Okay. Can can you connect me at some point? Do you know her? Or can some does someone you go to the slams? Can you connect me? Okay, cool. I wanted to I, I, I sent a thing to the Facebook page, but I know how messages to Facebook pages go and I don't know if it was ever I don't know. Anyways. Um that's awesome. There's a slam here now. Um so yeah, I have these two tablets for sale uh for five dollars each. I only have two copies of this one left, but um if you really want one and I don't have any left afterwards, then um, you know, if we want to work out like a shipping PayPal thingy, you know, we can work that out. I can print more. It's possible. I have free printing at, at Evergreen. I don't go to Evergreen anymore, but like you don't need an ID to log in. So I'm just like, why not? There's no sign that says like, don't run your perf- your poetry business out of here. You know, like, so I just, I'm just going to do it until they stop me. It's, I mean, like, this is what like, like radicals in Olympia do all the time is they print their entire like zine collections out of the Evergreen library. I think they know, like, I think they've got to know. Um, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so this is uh, this is a poem I wrote as a distraction um, from writing the Adam poem when I was writing that in the woods, um, and it's a little bit about my uh, uh, writing process. I don't need the mic for this one. When I'm at my best in my poetry writing process, it is a full body brain workout, and I look utterly insane. Watch me running laps from corner to corner to corner in my living room in the woods like this. This is how this poem got written. Sprinting between an empty campfire and a creek exactly 233 feet away, and I know this because I just paced it out in between writing exactly and 233 feet away. You see, in some circles, like the psychiatric ones, this behavior would get me labeled obsessive compulsive or ADD, but in poetry, we like to call these things meticulous research. <laughs> and spontaneous creativity. And when I get sad, my word rivers reduce to trickles that drip, 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 only occasionally. And it makes for slow writing. Until I get started, and then it picks up, and I am awesome, and I'm the best poet in the history of ever, and I'm going to write 20 books, and I'm going to win awards from every publisher ever, and you will love me, and you will love me, and even you will love me, and you will give me all your money, and I will spend it immediately. Until I get sad again, and I get depressed, and I remember that I'm bipolar, though I will insist that I'm fucking multipolar, because I'm in a polls you've never even dreamed of. And in most places, this would make me batshit crazy, but here, it makes me a performer! That's the secret to avoiding straitjackets. If you articulate your crazy well enough, they'll think you're an artist. Thank you very much. <laughs>